If you're going to be an investor, you got to get educated. You are spending your hard-earned money to invest with someone. You got to get educated. You got to understand who it is you're investing with, what it is you're investing on. How is this going to work? I mean, you're not going to be an expert, but just enough of education will help you understand. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in. Got my uh, buddy Siva Venugopalan here, and we're going to have a conversation about real estate. So, welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm the host Taylor Lote, and like I said, the guest today is my buddy Siva Venugopalan. Siva, you know, we're just going to get into it. And, you know, to the listeners out there, Siva's got a really uh, diverse and very successful background. So I'm very excited to be able to bring his real world experience to you and just be a conduit here. So Siva, could you tell the folks out there, what's your background, where are you coming from, and what do you do in your business day to day? Absolutely. Nice to have be here. Thank you, everybody. I just wanted to give you a little bit of background as uh, Taylor asked. I came from India with the master's and I came here to do my master's. And I got a full scholarship. That was the only way I could come here. It's a great country. I could tell you, I finished my master's and started working for about six, seven years. And then I said to myself, to my boss that, hey, I would like to do it this way. And he said, well, when you have your own business, you could do it that way. But while you're working here, you want to do it our way. And I said, you are absolutely right. I should do that. So uh, since then, I had this idea of starting my own business. So two years later, I gave the resignation, started my own business with $5. Only foolish people would do something like that, which I did. And I knock on wood, uh, 21 years later, we're doing fantastic. We're doing really well. And a lot of it is hard work and some of it is luck. You have to be in the right place at the right time. Sometimes you get that bump. And I got some of those. So I'm grateful and thankful. And uh, only in this country, somebody like me coming with $750 and two suitcases could do something like this. So certainly I'm grateful for it. I'm appreciative of all the acquaintances and the friendships along the way to bring me where I am today. As I grew my business, one of the things that happened was the cash flow was coming through and I wanted to figure out how do I deploy the cash. In the first 10 years, I was building my business putting it right back into the business, which was the right thing to do. After a certain point, I said, you know, what's a better use of this cash for a while? So we ended up, actually, my wife and I thought about it. We ended up spending some time trying to get some of the single family homes because we bought our home house and we made some money. We knew that path. And so we did that. So we bought single family homes. And when we thought about how to continue to invest, we found that single family home path was not scalable as we could see it because of the amount of work that was involved, because of the amount of things that we had to do initially and then continue to do it over time, we thought, well, geez, there's got to be a better way than this. So we kind of looked around and looked at student housing, 12 unit, 15 unit, whatever. And as we were ready to buy, we found out that we need to do some due diligence. We need to learn something before we do this, because that particular thing would have taken us down if we had not listened to somebody else, which was Dave Lindahl. So he gave us pretty good pointers. Since after that, I signed up for the entire education package, which I'm very glad I did five years ago. And since then, we have focused on multifamily. And that seems to be a better way to scale. And that seemed to be a better way to get returns. And that's also much more passive 
than what I wanted to do with the single family and anything else for that matter. So our goal was to be passive because I have my own business. I run my own business and it's pretty busy. So I like what I do. So for the longest time, I was kind of, I don't want to miss that. So the only way to do that is to do passive investing. That's what we've been doing for the last five years. We've worked with several operators and invested in several multifamily syndications, and we are GP on some of those. So we're doing well. There's a whole lot in there that we went through. I believe you said about 21 years of of history and just a couple of minutes in your experience. And it sounds like you mentioned Dave Lindahl in there, and you came to the U.S. to get educated, and you end up starting your own business. And then now you're at the point, or you were at the point five years ago, where you wanted to start getting into multifamily investing, and education benefited you once again. You signed up with Dave Lindahl, and it's gotten you to where you are today. Would you agree with that, education being very important for you personally in your progression through business and then getting into real estate investing? I would say education is absolutely important. If you're going to do anything of significance, for example, if you're going to be a doctor, you got to get educated. If you're going to be an engineer, you got to get educated. If you're going to be an accountant, you got to get educated. In the same way, if you're going to be an investor, you got to get educated. You are spending your hard-earned money to invest with someone. You got to get educated. You got to understand who it is you're investing with, what it is you're investing on. How is this going to work? I mean, you're not going to be an expert, but just enough of education will help you understand that you can go to sleep at night knowing that you've invested in things, right? So, I personally would absolutely recommend education for everyone and anyone who wants to invest in real estate, particularly multifamily or any form of commercial real estate. Single family is very different. You could do it. Education is better there, but you could definitely do it without. But multifamily or commercial, you absolutely want to have education. And you want to find anybody who has done enough of it, who have interacted with enough and knows the business, understands how it works. You definitely want to do that. Absolutely. It is worth the money and the time you spend because that will set you up for success. If you don't, whatever you have will probably go away. Mm. Set you up for success, help you avoid a lot of potentially money losing situations. Probably not all of them, but a lot of them help you avoid them and put you on the right track. Absolutely correct. In the last five years, most deals have been really, really good right? But moving forward the next five years, unless you educate yourself, you're going to find some deals that are not working out because the market turns, because the predictions may not come true or it might change. So if you educate yourself, you will select better deals. That's all. Absolutely. I mean, I see deals, you know, I invest actively and passively in multifamily as well. And I see deals come across where they're looking for investors and I take a few minutes to duplicate their model in my own underwriting software and either their math doesn't check out with my calculations or when I go through it, they're not being anywhere near as conservative as they say they're being in either their rent growth assumptions or vacancy assumptions or anything like that, where changing something by 10 bucks a month or a vacancy by a percent or two just completely throws the deal off. Right. Absolutely. There are two things I find it to be very, very important. Maybe several, but two I would highlight right now because people are selling what they bought three, four years ago. And three, four years ago, the property assessment was much lower than where it is today. And so the taxes were much lower. Every time you go a deal today, the tax amount is almost double. 
So you have to change your underwriting to put the new tax amount. That's one. Two, when you have those interest rates, right, you don't want to get something that's going to have two-year balloon or a two-year refi, stuff like that, because you don't know what the market's going to do two years down the road. What if you're not able to refi it? What's going to happen, right? And I would rather take a 10-year fixed, even if I had to pay a quarter point more. Those deals may not look like there's not money in it, but you can go to sleep at night. So there's a trade-off between how much money you want on paper as to whether you can go to sleep, right? Those are two things. And you mentioned about being able to see what kind of rent increase you can get. There are assumptions nowadays. I see some of those returns are showing a rent increase of 8%, 12%, 15% the first year because it's so under the market that they could raise the rent. Well, maybe true if you go look at the city data, which is two years ago, that allows you to say, yeah, it's $100 below. But if you go look at the current market rent or call, go to Google, find out all the local area, call them and see what the rent they're charging. The predictive modeling might show that the realtor might show you, you can charge $1,000. But you call around, there are people renting it for $900. There is no way you can charge $1,000, right? You're going to have a much more vacancy. If you do do that, you have to calibrate your vacancy down to 90% or 85% or something. So your underwriting is really, really important. You have to do your own underwriting. That means you have to learn this business and you have to know what the common expenses are. What is the normal range of expenses for a given multifamily apartment building? It could be the expense total could be anywhere from 40 to 60% with an average of 50%. But a really good operator can bring it down to 40 or a really good deal will have only 40% of expense, which is significant cash left. Whereas a smaller deal might have 60% expense with small amount of cash left. So operator experience becomes really, really important in figuring out whether the passive investors are going to get their cash and have some left for the managing members also benefit from it. I don't do any deals where there's no money for the managing member. How long somebody is going to manage well if there is nothing for them? (laughs) Not long. Not very long. So I really look for not only passive investor cash, looking for actually manager's cash as well. If that is the deal that gives both from day one, I'd be interested in. Mm, Absolutely. So we've touched on getting educated about the numbers and those kinds of things, but where do you stand on and what's your opinion on the people that are running the deals? How do you personally vet your sponsors that you're investing with or other people that you've mentioned you've been on the general partnership side as well? How are you building those relationships, getting to know those people, and maybe doing due diligence on them as people so that you can sleep at night, to use your own lovely analogy? That's a great question, Tara. And that's one of the difficulties, right, in this field is it takes time to develop relationships. It's not a one email Facebook and say, hey, I got all this deal, come get me. You know, it's not like that. I developed a relationship over six months or a year where I look at a couple of their deals, I give comments to them and see how the response is. Not necessarily what they say, it's about how they say it. Are they receptive? Are they engaging with my input? Or they have a logical reasoning behind that? Or are they dismissing it offhand and say, well, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. We know it. Maybe they do. Maybe I don't. But you have to really help me understand why is it that I don't right? That operator is a good operator. An educated client is always a better client. 
That's how I look at it. For my business, I always educate my client. This is the principle. This is the reasoning why we do things. It's always good because if a client knows why we are making decisions, what drives us to make those decisions, next time when we make decisions, he's going to apply the same principle and say, does it follow the same thing? So the principle is really important. Decision may be different for each project, but it's based on the principle that's really important. And so that's what I'm looking for from operators. Do they have solid principle? What is that principle based on? Who are they? Are they people with integrity? Are they people with a track record of integrity, right? Trust is what drives business. Stephen Covey talked about business at the speed of trust is very different than anything else. If you have trust in people, sometimes people won't even look at your numbers. You tell them, they believe you, and they do this. The reason they do that is because they know you take their money seriously, more seriously than your own money. And they've seen it year after year that your track record is one of that. And so I still believe passive investors should pay attention to all the numbers, even if they have a trusted operator. But the more trust you develop, the more easy it is as operator for you to be able to attract money for your deal. So I take time to develop that trust with operators as much as they take time to develop trust with the passive investors. So it takes time. And one thing I tell people is that as passive, everybody has the same amount of time. So anybody who gives you time, whether it's an operator or a passive investor, there's got to be a certain amount of gratitude and thankfulness from either side because it is the time that we don't have. And we are engaged in good faith. We're engaging in really, truly wanting to do a business together, right? And that's why you communicate honestly where you find gaps or difficulties in you being able to get across the line. And if they tell you, here is how we're going to do this, here's our track record, maybe why not you invest a small amount of money and we will show you how we're going to do this, that would help to move in that direction because you are slowly developing that trust. They have heard you. They've heard your concerns. They're responding to your concern with data, not simply just trust me. You mentioned about being an engineer. I mean, you and I are both engineers, so we both love our data. So I get you there. We've talked in the past about, we've met up and everything, and we've talked about some of the very interesting deals that you've done. Are you open to getting into that and talking about the most interesting deal that you've done so far? Because if it's the one I'm thinking of that we talked about, just love to share it. And I think people would be interested in hearing about it. Tell me, which one are you referring to? I believe it was in Boston Sports Complex. Yeah, it was an interesting deal. And one of the things that happened was that one of the things I also did in, in addition to education and learning, I also signed up for coaching with Dave Lindahl. And my coach was talking to me about doing deal. I was going to go like everybody else. I'm going to do the 100 deal right now. You know, let's go do this. And the more I got into it, I realized, you know, it takes time. And I talked to my coach. He said, why are you not doing it? I know you're eager. I know you can do this. Why are you not doing it? I said, I'm just looking at the time commitment that I need to have. I really can't give right now. And he listened to me. He talked to me over a two-month period. And he said, well, you know what? It seemed like you are committed to what you're doing. And that's okay. You have your own business. That's okay. But how do you then, what do you want to do with the coaching? I said, well, I'd like to do passive investing. I'd like to learn how to do that. So, okay, let's coach for that. 
So he kind of started coaching me how to analyze the deal, how to do some of the background checks and how to evaluate the particular area. So he did a lot of those things, which I'm really grateful for. And then he said, one of those days I was talking about doing passive deals. And he said, here's a gentleman in front of mine who's doing this deal. I would like to introduce you to him. And I said, great, let's do it. So he introduced me to him. I went there and met with him. I was on my path towards Boston. And I called him and said, hey, can you meet me in Albany or something like that? And the gentleman came from Providence, drove to Albany and met with me. We had lunch. We talked. And he kind of laid out everything to me. And prior to that, I've read through the entire deal. The deal was that one of the city in that local area, right, just south of Boston in Rhode Island. Well, prior to that, this gentleman that I met with, right, he had his kids that he would truck one kid to the tennis, one kid to the soccer game, one to ice hockey. So him and his wife were spending so much time on the road, taking each kid to each of these things. And he was thinking and dreaming, I wish I could be going to one place with all three kids and they could go and I could work and it could be pro-productive. And so I was thinking that the more I thought about it, I said, there is nothing like that in this area. And I wish I could do something like that. So ever since he's been thinking and talking to other people, and he found out through the great point of other connections that this city had this property of 140 some acres that was designated for certain type of use, which is, you know, and they couldn't change that usage. So it was hard for them to get somebody to buy the property, take care of it. So they held this thing quite some time. And then the downturn occurred. Nobody wants to touch anything. And then it came back out. And at 2013-14, he was approaching and talking to them. And they were kind of interested, trying to find out how much it'll cost. And then somehow the bill came due for the city. And they had to pay a certain amount of money. And they didn't have the money. And they said, well, guys, if you would keep this exact zoning for this property and take it over and pay this bill and pay some money, we would let you do that. So we ended up getting 110 acres for like $3 million. And then an option to get another 30 some odd acres a later date for a certain amount of money, a million and a quarter, a million and a half, something like that. Don't quote me on those numbers, right? But the 3 million was actually. So we ended up getting that, and I got in on that deal you know, at the beginning. So our goal was to put a field house, put an aquatic center, put two and a half sheets of ice, and then hopefully put some of the shops inside and then put a hotel in there so when people come in. And fast forward three and a half years later, we have two and a half sheets of ice built already. We have several shops already operating, and we have a contract for field house that's currently being built. And we have Aquatic Center. We're finalizing the deals on that. And we're gearing towards putting the Marriott Hotel in that property. Now, with the two and a half sheets of ice, initially, we were going to just rent it out and keep a small amount of time for ourselves. What we found is that it's a lot easier to keep all of the time to ourselves and create our own championship game, which this gentleman came up with the idea and so they hired a ice hockey coach who's a very famous ice hockey coach, became a part of the team, and they started their own championship game, and they're inviting different teams all over the country to come and play. And our ice hockey time is completely taken up, and it's doing phenomenally well. So this is a deal where there is no cash flow for probably four or five years, and we going into that, we knew that. 
It's a very unique deal. It's a very different deal than all the multifamily that I deal with, which is I wanted cash flow from day one. So that's the difference, right? Yeah, that's a very interesting deal. I mean, especially in the kind of multifamily self-storage mobile home park world that I spend most of my investing time in, you know, hearing about a development that this that's this unique is very interesting. So I wanted to sure we shared that with folks and just say what's out there. I mean, there's a lot out there to invest in. It's a pretty complex deal with the waterfall, with the different LLCs and different offerings along the way with EB5 money that's coming and all that. It's the total cost of this project is now it's about $70 million. So wow, it's a big project. And so there's a lot of complexity to it, but I kind of synthesized into a, a simple way to communicate to folks. So there's a lot of simplicity made out of this complex deal anyway. <laughs> the best investment I ever made is Maureen Miles on our first deal that we did. And it might be beat by another one that's coming right up, which we're selling this year, and which might be beat by another one that's coming right behind. <laughs> so as uh, so of today, Maureen Miles deal, it's, a, it's one of the multifamily in Georgia. It was a great deal. And Maureen is a great operator. I cannot sing enough of her praise. I can tell you that. That's awesome. On the other side of that, the painful part, what is the worst deal that you've ever made? The worst investment that you've ever made? Oh, I don't know. I want to say the name of the gentleman. You don't need to. But the worst deal is also in Georgia, in Macon, Georgia. And uh, it went to receivership. So yeah, that was the worst deal ever we did. It was, I think, primarily because of neglect by the operator. I think he was capable. He just didn't put the time in. He was, I led it to him probably a year and a half before he went to receivership by not one, two, three, four different passive investors. And he kept saying the whole time, I got it under control. You guys don't know what you're talking about. And then four months before receivership, he comes and wants money from everyone. It's pretty hard to get money from someone you foo-fooed for a year. And it's hard for you to give up the money to an operator who has not listened the whole way. So what's happening right now is that he's being sued by the city criminally for negligence. Wow. They're trying to put him in jail. That does sound like a worse deal. Is there any way that you could have, if we're going to pull out a lesson from that, Maybe hopefully we can avoid the situation in the future. Is there any way, anything that you've learned or seen that maybe you could have seen it coming in the first place? Or you said you're a year and a half, you're poking the guy saying, is it doing all right? And he's saying, ah, go away. Was that time to rally the troops and take the deal back? Or what do you think? We tried to rally the troop to take the deal back. But let me tell you this. Could I have foreseen this thing happening that I could have not taken in the deal at all in the first place? I'm still asking that question myself. I can tell you this, the more I think about it, if you had asked me when I actually considering investing in that property, until that point, I didn't know this gentleman had any issues in terms of not paying attention to deals. He seemed to have a good track record. And he also came recommended somewhat by other people I know are good people. So to an extent, we just did some due diligence. I mean, these things, we bought a 234-unit door for $5 million. I mean, it's really cheap. That is very cheap. And it was 70% occupied. Sure, it was a heavy lift, but considering 70% occupied, even if you paid for 70% of the units that's there, right, it was still not a bad deal. 
So looking at the deal on paper is not a bad deal. But one thing we found out is that if the operator has been good, even in Macon, Georgia, it could have been done well. We could have fixed it up. We could have taken care of things. We could have rented it up and we could have refired it. See, the other thing was that the bridge loan, there was a year and a half, two year bridge loan, and it had no cash for the first year. So these are some of the things I learned is that I don't want to do bridge loans unless it's a certain type of property where there's a significant cash flow and that the operator is giving cash flow from day one. This is so much confidence that they have in it that they are able to do this and they could turn it around, right? They can take interest-only loan, but they need to give cash from day one and have significant confidence that they could turn it around in nine months. So you got a year and a half, and typically these things come with another year of extension. So it's two and a half years, maybe three and a half years, or whatever, right? It comes with certain extensions. So it's not all bad having bridge loan, right? Because you have to have a bridge loan when you don't have 90% occupancy. It's just the way it goes. Otherwise, you can't get in. Nobody giving you a loan. But those are some of the things I would warn people that be careful. You need to know a lot of things about this is where learning comes. Educate yourself a lot or find somebody who is really good at educating. You know, they've educated themselves and line up with them with passive investing. You don't have to learn everything yourself. I don't have to learn everything myself. If I join hands with other passive investors, I can learn a lot. I can join hands with operators who are really good. I can learn a lot. So there are different ways to learn. For me, I think when you're talking about passive investing, you need to interact with other passive investors. You need to exchange ideas. You need to exchange information. So I am working with a group of passive investors. I try to educate them on all I know within the time frame that we meet and discuss as much as I could share. And I try to educate them just like my business. I educate people on this business as well. And then if we are working together, if we are doing this well, then we all benefit. So we benefit as passive investors. The operators we work with benefit because now they have a certain amount of money that they can count on because these guys understand how they work, understand what their goals are, what type of deals they bring in. I understand those, right, with certain people. And I'd be more inclined to look at it quickly and get the money out quickly. As a passive investor, you need to be a man of your word, a woman of your word, right? If you tell the operator you're going to participate, you got to get the money ready. You got to have it ready and you got to wire it so that they don't have to worry about you the week of closing, right? So I tell the passive investors that as well, that you really need to make sure that you take your responsibility seriously. The operator should be able to count on you to be able to do their job. I love it. I love it get to know other passive investors and really work together with them and learn from each other and spread the knowledge. I really like that. And you're going to learn about if you meet other passive investors, they might know the syndicators that you're talking to, and they might have inside information, both good and bad about that person that they can share with you that they certainly wouldn't post online or anything like that or wouldn't publish out there, but might be willing to share with you. I mean, it truly is a relationships business, uh, the real estate business. So I love it. So my favorite question, and I hope you like it too, is what is the most important lesson you've learned in investing, Siva? Most important lesson I've learned is to be patient. That is the most important lesson I'm still learning, (laughs) to be patient. The most difficulty with all investors, passive or active, 
is when the sun shines, make hay while the sun shines, right? It's like the oh, yeah. market's good, everything is good, go, 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 right? But the important thing is to be patient, wait. A baseball player is letting it go, letting it go, letting it go, waiting for that one ball that comes right in his zone so he can hit. And the patience is what is very difficult in this field. So I'm still learning. Mm, be patient. I love it. So where can our listeners get in touch with you? And is there anything else that you'd like to share that you've learned throughout your investing experience too? I just want to put that out there if we haven't covered anything that you wanted to hit on. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you, Tyler, for taking the time. Thank you oh, for you. the opportunity to share my experience. So I really appreciate that. One last thing I would say is that for passive investors, you don't need to know everything. Line up with other passive investors. That's what I've done. I have learned enough and I have spent enough time. I have invested enough in education and training. And I've also invested my own time underwritten every single deal that I've invested in. And I have changed my requirements, criteria. I also have access to data, a lot of different data that I can independently verify and look and see what's going on in that particular local area. So I bring all of that into the mix when I work with other passive investors. I try to educate them on, here's the reason I'm doing this. Here's the value in this. Here's the areas of concern I had. Here's what I did to alleviate my concern. So a lot of the stuff. So I think you don't need to know everything, but you need to take the first step. If you don't take step because I don't know this, I don't know that, you will never take a first step. You're going to make mistakes. Trust me. I told you, I made a big mistake. <laughs> it's life. You might make a mistake and you're never going to be perfect. But take that first step. Real estate is the greatest way to get passive income. I tell you that. And you take the first step and you do something small, whatever it is. Yeah, granted, in this space, you have to have minimum $50,000, $75,000 to get into a deal. But do it. You do one and you wait patiently. Let it produce results. And you go for the next one, which is what I tell all my passive investors I work with. Do it. Don't wait too long. If you wait too long, you probably will never do it. Analysis paralysis, right? So at some I point, I mean, you got to pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. If you wait forever, there's everybody had a first deal. Everybody that has done anything, everybody that has ever done anything significant, whether inside investing or outside of investing, had to start somewhere. Everybody that's set a weightlifting record had to do that first lift. They started with the bar and they eventually became heavyweights. So yeah, I love that. So where can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Yeah, well, I can give you my email address. They can shoot out an email and ask me, particularly any passive investors, any operators who have good deals. I'm looking for 8% cap on cap, which nowadays is a white elephant and 1.6 DSCR and about 12% cash on cash for the investors, right? the 8% cap rate. Any operator who have those kinds of deals, I'm eager, I'm willing to listen, take a look at it. It may not be on paper today, but when I underwrite it, it could be there. So I don't know. So there are a lot of good operators. I don't know them all. I want to develop relationship. I'm actively working to develop relationship with all the investors and all the passive investors that come into my framework. And so to get in touch with me, just shoot me an email, siva6418 at gmail.com. It's again, Siva, S-I-V-A, 6418 at gmail.com. Or you could shoot me a text. Let me give you my, normally I don't do this, 
Just, just leave it with the email address. How was that? <laughs> All right. We'll stick with that. That's no problem. I don't give my phone out on the get too many phone calls. Well, perfect. It was a great discussion. Anybody definitely reach out to Siva, especially being on the passive side. Siva, you may or may not agree with this. Being in the passive side in multifamily real estate, it's a great experience, but it is not fully passive. You got to go find the sponsors. You have to vet them. Like you said, you have to build relationships with them. You have to underwrite all the deals that you're going to invest in and all the ones that you're not going to invest in too, because how are you going to know? Absolutely so, right. I do spend quite a, a bit of, of money. Yep. I do go to a lot of conferences. I do quite spend quite a bit of money and time, even though I'm a passive investor. But my goal is to invest in this business. You know, it is a business and I need to develop a relationship with passive investors, operators, and folks, you know, like you, both operators as well as folks who are connecting other folks. So I do spend time and money. You're right. It's not totally passive, but it's as passive as it gets. Yes. And going to these conferences and meeting people, it's a lot of fun. You and I met at a conference. It's a lot of fun. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Awesome. It's fun meeting you, my friend. Ah, it's great talking with you, Siva. Everybody that tuned in, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast, Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. And we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Take care. Thank you. 